You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. everybody what's up how's it going buongiorno buenos dias ni hao konnichiwa bitches everybody welcome to the avocado cafe i am your host jason almy and i appreciate you tuning in today today we are going to be discussing kimagure orange road tv episode 15 madoka's ultimate decision putting a period to the love triangle This episode originally aired on July 13th of 1987. It was directed by Sasaki Kazuhiro in Sasaki's first and only episode directed for uh, the Orange Road series. My personal pet theory is that Sasaki pissed off Terada Kenji and has never been heard from since, okay? This episode was written by Tomita Sukehiro. I imagine Tomita felt the hot breath of Terada Kenji on his neck, Tomita also wrote episode four, which is our Disturbing Sea Experience episode. Uh, Tomita also wrote episode seven, the Spark Colored Kiss episode. Both of those are are, 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 are masterpieces. Uh, Tomita also wrote the possibly less masterful episode nine, Kurumi-chan, I'll Teach You How to Date. Just like with the last episode, they're teasing us, the viewer, that Kasuga and Ayukawa are going to break up in this episode, that this episode is somehow going to be meaningful because it's going to see the Kasuga and Ayuka relationship fail somehow. Again, just like with last episode, with so many episodes left on the table, it's kind of a hollow threat. How many, I mean, how many of us are actually going into this episode thinking it's possible that Ayukawa and Kasuga could break up and, and, Nothing will come of their relationship, and we got 33 episodes left on the table, plus two movies and some OVAs. Not happening. Until recently, my opinion on this episode was like, why? Why are you, why, why are you teasing us with this when we know, even as first-time viewers, even the very first time when, when I was watching this as a young, naive, 15-year-old watching this, 14 or excuse me, 14-year-old watching this thing with stars in my eyes, not knowing shit for how the world worked. Even at that point in my tender life, I was 
at least jaded enough to know there's no way they're going to break this whole thing up on episode 15. We got 48 episodes on these fan subs bootleg that I got sent to me in the mail. I think here, though, it's okay that they're kind of repeating this sort of uh, real high-level theme of of maybe Kosuga and Ayuko might break up for a reason because they go through it, they take a different angle through it this time, and they show a different side of things, namely being Ayuko's side, which I'm going to talk about as as we go through uh, this episode. So we open right into an Umao and Ushko scene. Uh, that's not customary for this show. Uh, we don't typically go straight into Umao and Ushko to open up each episode. Usually they kind of pop out of somewhere. They're somewhat unexpected. And I think that's part of their gag is that we're not necessarily, and maybe, maybe when the episode opens, we're not expecting to see them. We're not expecting to see them till midway through or towards the end of the episode or something. And, and so maybe that was how they subverted the expectations for the Umao and Ushko gag. Again, not something we're going to see very often. I don't remember off the top of my head all of the Umao and Ushko uh, gag appearances, but I don't think we're going to see another episode open with Umao and Ushko being the first characters on screen and the first characters to deliver lines. Importantly, we see them as neighbors of the Kasugas. Again, I mentioned uh, last week that I, I believe that I remembered them as uh, neighbors of the Kasugas living in their building. And in this case, it's true. Um, Unfortunately for this episode, the Umao and Ushko gag is just kind of like this bland thing. It's sort of like a repeat of the first episode where they're neighbors and they're living this kind of normal newlywed life. Uh, Umao is getting ready for work. Ushko is ushering him out the door and helping him to make sure he's got everything. And it's like this nice scene where they're telling each other they love each other in this weird Shakespearean way before before uh, going on about the day. But what, hey, whatever helps them get their day started, right? I'm not judging, but... I kind of am because this is a really kind of basic appearance for them after some kind of fun ones. Last episode was pretty fun. They had this sort of meta kind of for the audience appearance in the in the um, female wrestling gym. And before that, a few episodes earlier in um, Shikara's daydream, they sort of like invaded her imagination with this daydream which is another kind of meta sort of real creative way to work them in here there we're just showing them being generally disturbed by the Kasugas as usual the Kasugas are living this wild life and it, it happens to be the twins this time loudly fighting with each other and making so much noise that it disrupts Umao and Ushko as they're getting ready for their day so kind of bland kind of uh, uninteresting but again we're still seeing the Kasugas shit like how it flows over into the community and how it affects other people and how they're just not given one shit about how they affect other people. So um, that's demonstrated here with this Umao Nishko scene, uh, and that's pretty par for the course. So I, f- I found myself wondering early in the episode, how many damned rolls of toilet paper does Kurumi throw at Manami? This is insane. They're they're fighting in their in their bedroom. I counted five toilet paper rolls that Kurumi throws at Manami and they're they're in their bedroom she's got like a whole Costco value pack of toilet paper hidden under her bed or some shit they're not fighting in in the bathroom or near a storage closet in a hallway who keeps all the toilet paper underneath their bed just in case you got to throw it at your sister but she threw five rolls of toilet paper by my count if I'm wrong uh hit me up on the socials at ABCBPOD, that's Abakabu Pod. Tell me I'm wrong if I'm wrong, but I counted 
five toilet paper rolls that we see Kurumi throw at Manami. Now, the subplot is established right here from the get-go. Even before the main plot, we're getting kind of the B-plot established here with the twins having a feud in this episode. Typically, the twins get along very well. Typically, they are inseparable siblings, and they like to get into shit together. And um, and that's the way it goes. But uh, sometimes they do fight, and that's a common thing with siblings. Uh, you're talking to a guy. Well, you're not talking to me. You're listening to a guy who has two younger brothers, okay? There were there were three of us, and all being like young boys, when we were younger, I mean, we, we're best friends now, but we would fight back then. And so uh, I can speak, and, and anyone listening who is a sibling and has siblings, you know, I mean, even if you get along with them very, very well, there are times where just by the virtue of spending like the first 18 years of your life under one roof with them, you, you're going to fight with them sometimes. And, and so it's very relatable. This subplot is very relatable. My wife, in fact, is a twin, just like Kurumi and Manami. She's a twin. She has a fraternal twin sister. They're not identical twins, but they usually get along great. They're very loving sisters to each other, and they're very supportive of each other, and it's a beautiful relationship most of the time. But this subplot, this B-plot, I think is introduced first here in this episode because it actually helps to buttress the main plot. Oftentimes, these B-plots do have some service to the main plot. That's what they're doing there. I mean, they're there to provide a little variety and kind of let you see these secondary characters and and sometimes work two plot lines together. But I think here they're very, I mean, they really work very well together in tandem. And um, so the B plot is definitely very important in this episode. Whereas with the last episode, I mean, there were purposes of um, Manami and Kurumi wanting to to get into the the female wrestling gym there was definitely a, like a thematic exploration that was happening there but here i mean it's really really well interwoven and i'm going to i'm going to talk about how the that b plot uh, interweaves with with Kasuga's plot throughout this episode and how it, it does become important we see it right away with with uh, the twins calling in their brother Kasuga to come in and uh, try to intercede somehow and this B plot is is interfacing already with the A plot when he can't effectively intervene between his sisters. He's just he's unable to try to sort things out and try to help them to come to some agreement or something like that. And so he's very empathetic. I mean, he's definitely empathetic enough to be a fair arbiter in a disagreement. I would trust Kasuga to like look out for me if he was arbitrating in, in in like a disagreement I was having with someone else, but he's too much of a people pleaser. And at this point in, in his life, he just doesn't have the experience. He doesn't want to risk upsetting either sister. So he's a deer caught in headlights, unfortunately. And that's manifested in his indecision. And he's just kind of like, uh, I don't know which one of you is right. I can't possibly say. Instead, if he had the experience and he knew himself a little bit better as a people pleaser, he still doesn't want to upset either sister, but he would be able to spin it a little bit better. And this is a mirror, right? Right here in the beginning of the episode, we have a mirror of his inability to choose between Ayukua and Shikaru. And the idea behind this episode, and we're going to talk more about it as the episode goes on and as we conclude, but the idea is that uh, Ayukawa and Shikaru both appeal to Kasuga, each in their own separate ways, as we've learned in recent episodes, particularly 13, the the girls have their differences, and yet uh, each one is appealing to Kasuga uh, via their 
kind of natural qualities and he's unable to choose between them. I'm going to call bullshit on that a little bit later, but I'll, I'll pick that thread or that thought up in a minute. Marami displays a rare use of her power here when she uses it to lift Kurumi's skirt. She's the last character in this show to ever use their power. Manami uses the power less than damn Takashi Kasuga, and he ain't even got the power, and she somehow uses it less than him. She doesn't use the power, and she's not shown using the power very much in the show, and that fits with her personality being the kind of uh, demure uh, rule follower. She is the least likely Kasuga to break a rule, and, and, and since using the power is... Against the rules, she's the least likely to use the power, although she uses it here because she's fighting with her sister and, you know, all's fair. Kasuga views his own inability to arbitrate between his sisters as a failing in his role as a brother and as a member of the patriarchy. He he mentions being the oldest son. He's the only son. He is the oldest sibling, but he's viewing himself as a member of this a hierarchy and of this sort of lineage that like his father's going to pass the Kasuga name down to him one day and he will be the patriarch of the Kasuga clan in time and he's he's viewing his failure towards his sisters through that lens which is interesting he's not saying i failed as an empathetic older brother who hates to see his sisters upset he's saying i failed as the guy who's supposed to be in charge at least one day so this is an interesting view. It's just one line. It's off the cuff from Kasuga. So he doesn't realize that there's any depth to it. There is a little bit of depth to that line. I mean, it's it it's a very interesting just single line, but it gives a window into his psyche and how he thinks about his own place. And it makes sense given that in all of these um, previous episodes, he is always trying to kind of rein his sisters in or to impress upon them the um, the social mores and cultural values. And he typically tends to side with the older generation, with his father, setting rules about not using the power and you're not supposed to use the power at school and women aren't supposed to wrestle because it'll destroy your baby factory and all of the stuff that Kasuga is known to sometimes espouse. And, and honestly, I think the series is doing a good job of kind of shaking him out of some of those thought processes, especially with his interactions with Ayukawa. But we see this window into his thought process and his mentality a little bit here. And I thought that was a very interesting thing to point out. In this episode, Kasuga actually grows short with Shikaru. I think we can all agree, or at least many of us will agree, that there are probably times in our lives where we would strangle Shikaru if she were real and she were around us. I mean, it's the the constant bubbly and the really, I mean, the the very uh, like clingy, affectionate, hanging on in public when people are around. I mean, but he actually gets short with her here for the first time in in fourteen plus episodes, fourteen and a little bit of an episode, and so. And Shikaru takes this to heart. I mean, this is really kind of what kicks off some of the big conflict for him. You know, this is where the the dominoes of the subplot are knocking over the dominoes of the A plot, and we're kind of weaving these threads together here. And this is kind of one instance. This is one instance in which the uh, subplot, the B plot, is buttressing and, and holding up and providing structure for the A plot, the, the main plot. So we also know that Shikaru often seeks Ayukawa's counsel and help. We saw during her transformation episode, episode 13, 
that she she seeks out Ayuko for this help in creating a more mature uh, facade for herself. And she goes to Ayuko for that. She goes to Ayuko here for other issues having to do with her emotions and 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 counting on Ayuko to be a mature and also rational counselor for this. Now, during the conversation, Shikaru actually hits the nail on the head. Kasuga is consistently thinking about Ayukua rather than Shikaru. Typically, Kasuga wants to avoid romantic and physical contact with Shikaru because he doesn't want to spoil his chances with Ayukua. He doesn't want anyone to see, especially Ayukua, him and Shikaru in the hallway with her hanging on to him or whatever. He's always given this uh, dipshit kind of look whenever she's like hanging around his neck or whatever. And Ayukua sees, despite Shikaru claiming to have known all along, I'm actually convinced that she doesn't, at least here, at least at this early point in the television series, that she she doesn't know here that, that Ayukawa is the object of Kasuga's true desire, as she claims in, in Anoshi. She might realize later on during the television series and then and then carry that forward into the film. But I, I feel like here she doesn't, because if she did know then the whole rooftop scene with her talking to Ayukawa is like a farce to entrap Ayukawa or like maybe to like fill her with really intense guilt. Ishikaru is known to manipulate in order to get her way. She'll use a situation to her advantage. That still seems a little bit more than what Ishikaru is, is capable of or willing to do. I mean, she's not going to play this long game with Ayukawa. You know, like in in terms of her manipulation, just in this episode alone, she goes from like shouting at Yusaku to acting kind of cute and demure when she asks him to please forgive Kurumi. And that's sort of uh, evidence of her uh, manipulation at work. She's willing to act in a way that she knows Yusaku will respond to favorably in order to get him to do the thing that she wants him to do. Uh, So I really, I don't think she's playing this like long game on the scale of months or maybe even years to like um to to like get inside of Ayuko's mind and like really like convince her out of dating Kasuga convince her into dropping Kasuga in a subtle way because what we also see in this episode is that Shikaru will eventually and she'll pretend to ignore most things most of the time but once something builds up and bothers her enough she will uh, she will address it headlong. She will address it openly and directly as she does with Kasuga near the climax of this episode. I don't believe that if she knew that Kasuga was really in love with Ayuko at this point in time, at least during this episode, I don't believe that the conversation on the rooftop with Ayukawa in the early minutes of this episode would have gone the same way as it does on screen. I believe it would have gone differently. And I think Shikaru would have been a little bit more direct with Ayukawa and possibly with Kasuga as well in this episode. So I don't think she knows yet. And I think that these early in their interactions very strongly indicate that she doesn't, and she doesn't know yet that I'm right. Now, Ayukawa lies to Shikaru when she says she doesn't think Kasuga is interested in anyone else. There's been tons of evidence over the previous 14 episodes to convince Ayukawa that Kasuga is really into her. I don't believe that Ayukawa is is incorrect, but being honest, I believe that she is. She knows that she's lying to Shikaru here. She is being uh, deceptive because she's afraid of what might happen if Shikaru learned the truth, and she doesn't want to be blunt 
with Shikaru, and she doesn't want to expose the truth to Shikaru, at least at this point. Uh, Ayuko even goes so far as to get a little forceful with Shikaru. Like, she's just denying it a little too hard. She manages to to comfort Shikaru here a little bit, but there's that one shot where she's, you know, Shikaru's hugging her, and she's feeling a little bit better, but Ayukawa is looking up at the sky and, and quite clearly deep in thought, and you can maybe interpret that uh, that shot as as her thinking like what's going on with Kasuga what is her future what is Ayuko's future with Kasuga you could interpret that as her feeling guilty about lying to Shikaru maybe even both i mean it, she might be having a a mix of thoughts and emotions at this moment and it's it's demonstrated with a, a few seconds of a shot of her gazing up at the sky in this moment after doing her best to uh, coddle Shikaru and uh, uh, to pacify her it, instead of dealing with a problem, right? She's just trying to smooth things over right now. And it's not very different from Casca's typical approach. So Casca gets a lot of shit in this series over the course of all of the episodes for placating Shikaru, for coddling her, not being honest, for failing to capitalize on opportunities to set the record straight and be honest and be more forthright with his feelings to not string this poor girl along. Because if anything, we all feel bad for Shikaru by the end of it. And we all wish that it could have maybe ended a little bit better for Shikaru and she hadn't been hurt so badly. And part of that is because it took them years to actually tell her what was up. But but Ayuko is really handling it the same way here. So as much shit as Kasuga gets, I think he's not the only one who's handling Shikaru like this. And Ayukawa is certainly guilty of just trying to placate Shikaru and doing the easy thing instead of the hard thing. It also is meant to preserve the series. I mean, we don't want the the show ending at episode 15 and we need to continue this, um, maintain this love triangle for the next 33 episodes plus at least part of a movie plus the OVAs. So we we can't we can't blow it just yet. And so part of it, I think, is just to kind of keep this thing, keep this uh, car on the road for a little bit longer. We got some more miles. Now, I think one of the standout scenes in this episode, for sure, for certain, one of the most important bits of this episode is that we're presented with some really quite wonderful detail on Ayukawa and Shikaru's relationship here. It, it gives us a little bit more depth in terms of the history of their relationship and their dynamic. You absolutely cannot deny that Shikaru has an effect on Ayukawa. I don't think it's fear. I don't think Ayukawa fears Shikaru. Certainly, Ayukawa doesn't fear that Shikaru could beat her up. I mean, Shikaru's capability of physical violence is far less than Ayukawa's as evidenced by just the fight scene at the end of episode one, for instance. Shikaru was in a pinch. Ayukawa came and beat everybody up. Uh, Shikaru wasn't able to handle those those punks. She clearly needed Ayukawa's help in in vanquishing the, the, the thugs. So I don't think it's a matter of Shikaru having this sort of secret ability to, to, to beat up Ayukawa that Ayukawa was fearful of. I think she... Maybe it is a certain type of of fear. Um, she's afraid of Shikaru learning the truth. That's why she lied to her and and protested so vehemently in the previous scene. But it also strikes me as like something of a sisterly obligation to Shikaru. Shikaru is younger. She's not as smart or as skilled as Ayukawa. I'm sorry, Jason P. But it's not a knock on Shikaru to say that she's not as smart nor as skilled. So Ayukawa kind of coddles Shikaru a little bit in that sense. I mean, Ayukawa has to hold back a little bit 
for Shikaru to keep up with her. Uh, if if Ayuko went all out, Shikaru would never keep up. So part of it is is sort of looking after this person who is, you know, you have this true affection for because you've been friends your whole life, but you 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 also feel like you're having to like slow yourself down or give something of yours up. And we see that. We see that in the childhood memory that she has uh, of her with with Shikaru. It might be a sense of pity. You know, she might feel a little bit bad for Shikaru. So like a light pity for not being as skilled or as smart. Like Ayukoa can always do these incredible things. And if she has to give something up to Shikaru, it's okay because Ayukoa is really, really good at what she does. So she can go get another one. That type of idea that, you know, we kind of have to redistribute what Ayukoa's got because Ayukoa is just so darn good at everything that she does. Um, so I think Ayukoa is also aware of Shikaru's manipulations because with the the flashback that I'm sort of beating around the bush on that childhood memory, we do see uh, some kind of early evidence of Shikaru uh, manipulating Ayukawa and being kind of aware that Ayukawa will feel bad, that Ayukawa has this conscience where, uh, you know, if, if she cares about you and you're expressing distress, she is going to try to uh, help you to feel better. And Shikaru knows this and Shikaru uh, exploits this. We we see at the at the episode midpoint Ayukua as a child, mind you, this is some years earlier. Uh, she finds a four leaf clover. She shows it to Shikaru. She announces, "I found a four leaf clover." Shikaru immediately wants it. Uh, Ayukua initially resists giving the four leaf clover over to Shikaru. They start running. Ayukua's running ahead of her because, like I said, Shikaru can't keep up. She's younger. Uh, at that point, Ayukawa is a little bit older uh, a girl, so she's able to blast past her. And um, Shikaru eventually uh, falls and then starts sobbing. And and it's, you just feel bad for Shikaru. I feel bad as a viewer for Shikaru. I think Ayukawa clearly feels bad for her. She takes pity on her. And she eventually gives over that four-leaf clover she sort of maybe she feels like she's responsible for Shikaru falling over and tripping and and then and like hurting herself, scraping her knee or whatever. And maybe she's crying because because she's in pain, or she's crying because she's just kind of giving up on trying to get it away from Ayukawa by chasing her down and taking it. Um, and then she's not able to overcome Ayukawa in a physical sense. But regardless, Ayukawa feels bad in that moment, and she hands over the four-leaf clover. And I think the four-leaf clover is a clear and unambiguous metaphor for Kasuga. Of course, Ayukawa met Kasuga before Shikaru did. She was the first person to meet Kasuga on his upon his move into the new town. Even though she didn't, you know, she kind of told Shikaru, I don't know this guy. And and so it's sort of Ayukawa's fault. Um, I'm not letting Ayukawa off the hook here. Uh, Shikaru did decide that she wanted Kasuga after Ayukawa met him. So I think it's a very clear metaphor. So Ishikaru is now feeling distressed that perhaps Kasuga likes someone else. And Ayukawa feels this same pressure. That's why she had this, this flashback. Of course, this flashback came to her during this episode at this moment because she's seeing Kasuga as sort of a more modern uh, teenage girl equivalent of the four-leaf clover. Ayuko is feeling this pressure to give over Kasuga to Shikaru to relent and to um, not be so good at, at getting Kasuga's attention, I guess. I don't know. But impressively, 
Kasuga here intuits that something is keeping Ayukawa and him apart. When Ayukawa gives him the cold shoulder at the end of the school day, he wants to walk home and she doesn't say a word, just does that tsundere kind of like look over her shoulder, like, hmm, tell it to the back of my head. You know, he knows, he already knows that there's something keeping him apart. And so that's something that, that we have to say for Kasuga's uh, emotional intelligence. It's, his EQ is, is very strong when it comes to Ayukawa. Not so much when it comes to Shikaru, and that's Shikaru's whole beef with Kasuga this entire episode. Kasuga's inability to arbitrate in his sister's feud continues at this point in the episode. It's ongoing, and it's becoming more complicated because each twin during this episode develops a preference for one of the girls. Manami prefers Ayukawa after experiencing Ayukawa's kindness when she cut her finger. As an aside, Ayuko is like, you wouldn't want to get any germs in that cut, so let me put it in my mouth. That makes a ton of sense. I have to think that they knew in, in the 1980s that your mouth was full of germs. That's not like a really, really new development. Like maybe they didn't know it 300 years ago, but they had to have known it in 1987 Japan. Like your mouth is full of germs. If you want to keep something germ-free, don't put it in the spot that's full of germs. I'm just saying. So Manami is the series wallflower. She often feels unnoticed, underappreciated. For Ayukawa to dote on her and to show her this sort of undivided attention and concern, Manami is quite clearly touched here, and, and that's all it took. Manami is now an Ayukawa stan, and that's all it is. Kurumi, on the other hand, develops a preference for Shikaru after Shikaru sticks up for her and bails her out with Yusaku after she nails Yusaku right in the eye with the ball. In the scene at Abakabu after the eye catch, interestingly, they do some interesting stuff with the, the shot composition and the cinematography here. Kasuga is isolated in, in most of the shots, not all of them here, but he's sitting around the corner at the bar from Shikaru. So he's not facing her. He's not even looking at her. He's not, he's not despite them being at Abakabu together, ostensibly on a date, he's not interfacing with her because he's still... He's just too caught up in Ayukawa giving him the cold shoulder earlier, and he's wondering what's going on with Ayukawa, that he's really not able to focus on anything else. And he's he's sort of shot independently from the rest of the crew to highlight that he's off in his own thoughts. I mean, there's, there is a shot where you can see him around the corner from Shikaru, but again, he's like looking away, he's facing away, his body language is all depicted as it's in his own space. The bar also separates him from Ayukawa in the, the one shot where she's refilling his beverage and she's there in the shot. There's a bar between them. And so there's still this like physical distance that's reinforced with the artwork for this scene, which I thought was pretty clever. And it's a, it's a, it's a sign of some kind of very good and clever direction here. It just isolates how shut out he feels from Ayukawa. It's a visual sense of his isolation. It's really, really good. So there's another visually meaningful shot when Shikaru is accusing Kasuga of behaving strangely at the art gallery, this is kind of as the, as we kind of hit the climax of the episode. Not quite. It's like just before we hit the climax of the episode, Shikaru is advancing on Kasuga as she's accusing him of behaving strangely and that he's got another woman on his mind. And it's this very direct, as I was saying earlier, it's a very direct redressing of Shikaru's conflict in this episode she's got a beef with Kasuga and she takes it up with him once she'd kind of she tolerates it for a while but once she had enough she brings it up with him maybe not in the most mature manner but certainly in a direct manner 
and one that he wasn't expecting. So as he's backing up, she literally gets his back up against a wall, and we see over his shoulder the image of Ayukawa from uh, Kasuga Takashi's portrait of her. It's just behind Kasuga's right ear, almost as if she's looking over his shoulder. She's got this smile on her face, of course. He's able to, now Kasuga's able to reassure Shikaru fairly easily, but I mean, that shot really is quite telling that as she's accusing him of this, who's right behind him, right behind his head, you know, almost like she could whisper in his ear or almost like uh, oh, the way a, a, a thought bubble appears over a character's head in print media, oftentimes manga or something like that. And it would contain this image of what he's thinking about. And that's Ayukawa. I mean, she's been on his mind since he moved to this town, right? But 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 definitely this episode, he, she's really, really been on his mind. He's been very preoccupied with what's going on with Ayukawa, as he is in many episodes. So even though he's able to, to fairly easily reassure her, and um, she goes back to acting kind of normal, Shikaru, sort of par for the course. Shikaru, at dinner, he's still all caught up in his thoughts and feels about Ayukawa. Uh, one of the funniest parts of the episode for me is when he gets up and, and Shikaru asks him, well, where are you going? He says, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And the the waiter, the garçon or whatever, he, he points left and he says, this way. And Kasuga just walks right like, I don't give a shit. I'm not really going to the bathroom. That was one of the funnier funnier moments of the episode for me because the, the maitre d' or whoever is like, what kind of shit is that? You can tell that the twins have made up when Kurumi praises Ayukawa's portrait, Manami praises... Shikaru's portrait, and then now they're friends again. They team up against Kasuga. They press Kasuga for the first time probably in the series to, to admit to them which girl he prefers. And so this is kind of kicking off our episode resolution. Kasuga in his voiceover says he can't possibly decide between the two. But as I told you earlier in the episode, I'm calling bullshit on that. The night before... He left Shikaru and the rest of his family in the middle of dinner. He just bounced from that restaurant without saying a word to them so he could go call Ayukawa from a phone booth outside of her house five times, no less than five times. He left Shikaru on the roof after pretending to point at a UFO in a previous episode. He forgot his entire first date with Shikaru because he was hanging out with Ayukawa in the rolling first date episode. The fact is Ayukawa owns major real estate inside of Kasuga's brain. She's on his whole ass mind all the time. Kasuga might as well be Elvis Presley, Willie Nelson, and both Pet Shop Boys because she was always on his mind. Shikaru never receives that kind of attention from Kasuga. As evidenced by this episode alone, but plenty of others that we could cite, and as also seen in this episode and, and some future episodes, the disparity between her commitment to Kasuga, which is a very, very high, she's very well committed to Kasuga, and Kasuga's commitment to her, which is virtually non-existent, he would forget about her if she quit calling him and coming by his house and trying to date him. It's a major problem for Shikaru, this disparity that I just mentioned. It's a major problem for her because she is aware of it, and she knows that she's putting out 94 5% of the effort, and that's being generous to Kasuga. Kasuga's putting forth about 5% of the effort, and he's really just kind of hoping she'll go away. I don't know if he's just hoping she'll lose interest or or maybe one day she'll get the picture or maybe her family will pick up and move to Hokkaido. 
It seems odd that all it took was Kasuga calling Ayukawa several times to make Ayukawa relent and change her mind about dumping Kasuga. Maybe Ayukawa realized that Kasuga ought to have a say in it too. Like the four-leaf clover didn't have a preference between Ayukawa and Shikaru. It's an inanimate object, but Kasuga does. So I think maybe by his persistence, he reminded her here that that he's got a say in this whole matter too. And uh, simply handing him over to Shikaru uh, doesn't work when he also has a preference. And it's clearly Ayukawa, despite what Kasuga's voiceover says at the end of the episode. So this episode is like the previous episode. It's predicated on the risk or or the audience's fear that possibly the relationship between Ayukawa and Kasuga might uh, collapse. But uh, last episode was all about Kasuga's anxiety, and it was caused by the uh, premonition dream that he had, the foreboding dream, and it turns out that there was no basis in reality for that. The other characters in the episode were none the wiser to uh, Kasuga's anxiety, and it was all uh, his own misunderstanding. A lot of a lot of the the conflicts of of episodes of Orange Road are based on misunderstandings, characters misunderstanding things that are said or intentions. But in this case, of the last episode, Casca misunderstood his own dream, misunderstood himself. Now today's episode, to contrast, it's Ayukawa who is preoccupied with the disillusion of the love triangle because she feels as if she's responsible for the emotional distress that Shikaru expresses in this episode, early in this episode, in her conversation with Ayukawa. So if anything, today's episode is a sign that Ayukawa and Kasuga both are going to be responsible for some emotional pain that Shikaru will suffer, see Anohi for uh, reference. It would be better, in my opinion, for Kasuga to come clean at this point, but the love triangle persists, right? We got more episodes to sell. We got OVAs to do. We got a movie. So we got to keep rolling. Even though I think you know, now would have been a perfectly good opportunity to segue. Maybe Costco could have segued into something where he let Shikara know that maybe he's not as committed as she is. And uh, it could have been a good signal for her to back off a little bit, but he doesn't have that conversation. But now would be a great time for me to tell you guys. I'm a member of the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Check us out, innercirclepn.com. You can check out tons of other great podcasts for you to listen to on all the days that aren't Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. You can check out my other program, Shit Happens When You Party Naked. That's my flagship podcast. It's a comedy podcast. I would love for you to check it out. It's on Patreon only because I was offending people in real life. Uh, so patreon.com slash team Almy. I would love for you to check that out. I've also got some Orange Road content now that has come to the Patreon. First of much more to come, Orange Road content. We're going to have interviews with various people that are involved in podcasting or in anime in some way, shape, or form, or even residents of Japan, uh, people that have I loved Orange Road for a very long time, done a lot of thinking about it. We're going to have chats and discussions with folks. We're also going to do episode commentaries. And I think the next piece of content that's going to be going up on the Patreon is going to be me watching Shinkor Summer's Beginning for the very first time. I have never seen that book. Can you believe it? I'm doing a podcast all about Orange Road. Every week I'm busting my ass on this thing. And yet I have never once seen Sheen Core, Summer's Beginning. 
I can't believe it myself. I avoided it for many years. As I said, I believe in the first or second episode of this podcast, but I'm finally going to get around to it. I'm going to watch it live on the Patreon. So please join. Uh, You guys can watch it live with me, comment along, do all that fun shit. I appreciate you guys very, very much for listening. Please subscribe to the show. Please tell an anime loving friend. Uh, Please leave us a rating and review. If you're an iTunes or Apple podcasts user, please leave us a rating and review. Those things are uh, beneficial to us and helpful to us. In the meantime, let's find something to listen to as we uh, bounce out of this here episode. How about a little remix of uh, Madoka's saxophone? <laughs>